Let's have a word of prayer before um, diving into the word this morning. Father, we're thankful this Christmas season that because you were born, that we can have hope, joy, peace, and love. Father, that you are the foundation of all of those things. And we pray, God, that you would fill our hearts this morning and that your Holy Spirit would deliver a message of hope to our hearts. By your power and in your name, we all said, Amen. One of the words often associated with Christmas is the word hope. Um, we say that it's a season of hope or the hope of Christmas. Um, we sing it in our songs. Charles Wesley in his song, um, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, says that Jesus is the hope of all the earth for the saints that believe. A Philadelphia um, pastor in the 1850s named Philip Brooks traveled to Jerusalem and upon leaving Jerusalem, and after a trip in Israel, penned the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And he penned the line, um, All hopes and fears through all the years were met in thee tonight. And so the title of my message is exactly that, All hopes and fears are met in Christ. And Brooks was capturing something here, and I really wanted to know what it was he was trying to capture. What does it mean that all hopes were captured that night that Jesus was born? And Jesus was the fulfillment that we had long longed for, that, hum- that they had longed for. He was the fulfillment of Micah 5.2 that says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of, from of old, from ancient times. He fulfilled Isaiah 9.6, For unto you a child is, will be born, to us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That in the birth of Christ, what was fulfilled was the one that was symbolized at Passover has now come. One author put it and said that the one that could put, the one that our hearts hoped for, the one that could bear God's wrath for our sin and death, the one who could wash us clean, rescue us from our brokenness, he has come and our hopes were met in Christ. Is that our hearts longed for a Savior, our hearts yearned for a Savior, and Jesus was the fulfillment, and our hopes had come true, and they were met in Christ. But I want to capture this morning that it wasn't only a temporary hope or a moment of hope fleeting for those at that time, that Jesus is the embodiment of living hope, and that this morning is Christmas season can be one of the seasons where it's filled with family and love and joy and peace. For many others, it can be a reminder of the things that aren't are those that aren't with us at Christmas. And it can be um, a season of darkness and depression and sadness for those, and we can very quickly lose hope. But this morning, I don't want to talk about that Jesus is not only was hope then, but he is hope now, and he's living hope. And because of the birth of Jesus and because of Christmas, we can be people that walk in a season of hope. The birth of Jesus signaled not just a moment of temporary relief, or fleeting hope, but it's the birthplace, the foundation, and the source of our hopes. As the shepherds flocked, being led by the star because their hearts were full of hope that this was a sign from God, so too our hearts should burst with excitement and be filled with hope because of the excitement of Christmas. And so I would agree with Brooks, and when he penned that all hopes and fears through all the years were met in Christ, that Jesus is the hope of the world, and without him, we very quickly lose our source of hope. Some of us face seasons of darkness. Some of us face, in the natural, we have, it's very hard to see hope. 
And in Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham hoped against hope, right? Abraham was faced with the thing that he was going to be the father of many nations, but he was well beyond the age of bearing children, and let alone his wife was also barren, or well, his wife was barren and could not bear children. And it says that Abraham believed God, and he hoped against hope, and because of that, he was justified by his faith. And so that's where we pick it up in Romans chapter 5, and where we will... Um, begin our message this morning. We're just going to take it verse by verse, starting in verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first blessing and the first reason to hope, and I want to give you three reasons to hope this morning, and the first reason is this, is you can have hope because you have been, because of your justification through faith, you can have peace with God. And so reason for hope number one is that you have peace with God. And this isn't peace in this sense of this tranquil state of mind, um, and you know, you just have peace in your mind. This is a peace that is like a king who has unruly subjects, and they're subordinate, and they are not listening, they're not following the rules, and they are at odds with each other. I want to give an example um, from Different Differ Family Christmas about 18 years ago. We're at my father's, house, my father's side, uh, my Uncle Tony and my Aunt Hope's house, and my dad has three, two siblings, Aunt Hope and Uncle Lon. And so we're at Hope's house. And as Christmas should always involve, a good discussion of politics arose. <laughs> and I have Uncle Lon, who stands on one side of the political spectrum, and Hope's husband, Tony, whose house it was, stands on the opposite side of the political spectrum. And the topic that evening was the local school board and those that were being elected to the school board. And my Aunt Hope, mind you, she worked for the school board, and so they were passionate and had thoughts that were very strong this way, and my Uncle Lon was a little bit of a different mindset, and my Uncle Lon was sharing and going on and on and on, and so finally, my Uncle Tony, he was reclined in his recliner, his lazy boy, just grabs the handle, pops that sucker up, stands up, gets him Uncle Lon's face, and says, you better not blank and ruin Christmas for my wife, and you better stop this conversation. And we're just sitting there, me and my brother. I'm 12, my brother's 10. We just go like this. It's at that point, my nana looks at my, my grandfather and says, Bob, I think it's time to go. Gets up, walks straight for the door, heads home, and just leaves me and my brother sitting there. And I was like, oh, my. <laughs> and let me tell you, for a few years, there was not peace at our family gatherings, all right? There was unresolved conflict. There was tension any time that we gathered for Thanksgiving, Easter, or Christmas, because that incident went unresolved for a long period of time, that there was not peace between them, that there had been, they had sinned against not only um, those in the room, but against each other, and it went untouched. And that's what it's like between man and God, and that's what it's referring to here, is that we had now have peace with God, is that there was conflict between man and God, and the problem had nothing to do with God over here, who is holy, righteous, and full of justice. It had everything to do with us, right? And we, do not ha we did not have peace with God because of our sin and our wickedness and our darkness. That's what the angels were referring to when uh, hearing upon Jesus' birth. What did they say? Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom Christ has blessed. And it's that peace of that we were dead in our sins and trespasses, that our sin had separated us from God, and we did not have peace. But in Romans 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, 
we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the birth of Jesus, because he came in the form of a baby and that he walked as a man to the cross, and if we place our faith and trust in him, we are now justified and we now have peace with God and that we now have right standing because of the birth of Christ. And so that should deliver a message of hope to us and to our hearts that whatever sin that we're struggling with or whatever we're dealing with is that if we place our faith in Jesus Christ that we are justified by his faith and that we can have hope that his blood washes over our sins and that we are forgiven and that we have peace with God. Galatians 5, 4 says this, but when the time had fully come, right, when the time was ready, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption into sonship. And that's what, the birth of Christmas, or that's what the birth of Christ is, and that's what Christmas is about, is that the time had fully come that Jesus was born. And what was he born for? To redeem those that were under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. And so reason number one for being filled with hope is that our sins are forgiven and that we are justified by our faith in Jesus Christ. Reason number two. This comes from verse number two. It says, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So number one, we have been justified by faith. And number two, we have gained access by faith into grace upon which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. What does this mean? Have you ever met those people in life where you're just unsure which moment or which hour what mood they are going to be in. And so you never know how that conversation is going to go. And so you kind of walk on eggshells because you're unsure. It's like, are they happy? Are they sad? Are they going to explode at me um, if I share a certain bit of information? And what is their reaction going to be? Anyone know anyone like that, that you're just not sure? And they're so volatile and hostile that you're unsure what it's like and what your footing is with them. And so you walk gingerly or you share things in a different nature because you're unsure with how they are going to respond. And you're not sure your footing or you're with them. And some of us walk in our relationship with God like that, and we're thinking that that's how God looks upon us. You know, if we mess up or we screw up or we're wrong here, that we're in or we're out, and that God all of a sudden is this man with mood swings, and now he's angry, now he's upset, now he's frustrated, and we walk as if God um, treats us that way. And we're unsure of our footing. We're unsure of where we stand in our relationship with God. But verse 2 reassures us this, is that if we have gained access by faith into his grace, we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And it means this, is that you don't have to question, you don't have to wonder, you don't have to ponder, where do you stand with God? You know, am I in, am I out? Does God love me? Does he not love me? It's this, through faith and through the birth of Christ, you have standing and security in the presence of God. And that should deliver a message of hope to you, is that you never have to wonder, well, am I in or am I out? If you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have a secure footing, and you can stand upon his foundation. And it finishes and says, and now we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that in all of the struggles, and all of the frustrations, and all of the sickness, and the frailties, and the sin, and the frustrations of this world, what does it mean? It means we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That one day, those things will be no more. There will be no more tears. There will be no more pain. There will be no more suffering. And sin will no longer have its grip and hold on us because we will be glorified with Christ. And so we have the hope of eternity with him. 
And so we're driven by that hope, that the things that we long for and the things that we wish to see here on this earth, that we might not ever find them here on this earth, but we have the hope that we will be glorified and we will be made right with him in the end. What is Romans? Romans 8, and a couple chapters later, Paul goes on to elaborate on this just a little bit further. It says, And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he will also glorify. And that's the hope of us, that if we've placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that there will be a day where we stand with him and that we will be glorified in Christ. And so we can have hope that the sufferings and the pain and the anguish and the things that we experience here on this earth, they meet their end in the glory of Christ. That's why C.S. Lewis said this, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Is that we have longings and we have desires that will go unmet and unfulfilled here on this side of earth. But it means that we were made for another world and that we were made to spend eternity with God and that we, in his glory, so when you long for that and when you desire that, don't let it crush you, don't let it defeat you, just let it know that this is my temporary home. And there is a place where those longings and those desires will be met in the glory of Christ. But if you're anything like me, you ask, what about the here and the now? Because life certainly has its challenges, its moments, its defeats, its things that set us back. And hope in eternity and hope knowing in the end that it will work out and it'll be okay is good but what's my hope for the right here and the right now what is my hope to get me through tomorrow what is my hope to get me through this season this struggle this illness this thing that I'm fighting this thing that I'm battling what's my hope right here right now to get me through how many of us know that life can become so overwhelming and that's um, that we very quickly can lose hope that the things in our lives are ever going to change, that the seasons will ever come to an end, that that things will ever look different. Chuck Swindoll said this. He says, hope is to life like fish, or water is to a fish, or electricity is to a light bulb. Is that we can't go throughout life, you know, without water, a fish doesn't live. Without electricity, a light bulb doesn't light up. And without hope in this life, We have nothing to stand on. And so the question becomes to us, where do we place our hope? What is our source of hope? And what do I have to hope in today to get me through this life? Because it's the loss of hope, right? And it's hopelessness and it's despair. It's when hope, when things do not seem like they're ever going to change or they're ever going to turn out and and the situations of your life are always going to remain the same, you very quickly start to lose hope that anything can be different on how many suicide notes or how many um, that are left, and it says those words, that I was hopeless, that my condition was ever going to change. And it's the loss of hope that leads to despair, that leads to depression, that leads to ruin, and that causes people to give up. 
And if we're honest, we have seasons of our lives where that's tempting for us, where it seems that the cards are stacked against us, where the moments and the things of life just seem like too much, and we start to lose hope that God is with us, that God is for us, and that these things are ever going to resolve or work out. But they, if we look at verse 3, it gives us our answer. It says, not only so, right? And so Paul's saying, not only so is there the hope of the glory of future with him. He says, not only so, but we also rejoice now in our sufferings because we know that that suffering produces perseverance. That perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not disappoint. What does that mean? What is my hope for now? What is my hope from this season right here, right now? What is the hope that we can stand upon? It's this. Is that your sufferings, that your trials, and that your battles, they aren't pointless, they aren't worthless, and what they are doing for you is conforming you to the image of Christ. And they are making you like Christ, and they are developing your character, and they are depositing perseverance and making that a part of your life, and so that you can stand and be filled with hope, knowing that God is working amidst those things. We read it once again in Romans 8, 28. It says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. It means that there's nothing purposeless or meaningless in your life. It's that God is taking all things, and God is working all things, and he is forcing them to work together for your good. And so you can have hope in your trials, and you can have hope in your seasons, and you can have hope in your struggles, because in them, God is conforming you to the image of his Son and making you in his likeness. And it says in verse 5, or in verse 4, that perseverance develops character, and character, hope. And that you can stand through the battles and the trials and rejoice because God is working in you, his character, and making you like his son. And so I love the next verse that it says, and hope does not disappoint us. Because how many of us know that when we place our hope in the wrong thing and we place our trust in the wrong thing, we can very easily be disappointed? How many of you have put your hope in people and they have failed you? Right? In fact, we're people that are used to not hoping in things, you know? If you're like me, I don't want to put my hope in something because I, don't want, I want to avoid the feeling of disappointment or being let down. And so I usually set my expectations low and my trust low because that way, at least in my mind, I can't be disappointed or I can't be upset or I can't be let down by anyone else. And so I'm cautious because even in moments of hope or even when something's going good or it seems hopeful, I'm cautious because I'm looking around behind me thinking, all right, when's the next thing coming? And it's going to crush that hope. And we're not people that are naturally hopeful um, if we're being honest, we're usually people of despair. We usually see that the glass is half empty or the negative side of things. Um, but I love it because how we see hope is not how God sees hope. When we hope, we, wish, we say it as, I hope you feel better. I hope you do well on your test. Or I hope that you get this job. Or I hope that this season turns out well for you. And when we speak of hope... It's kind of like good intentions or well wishes because we're not really, we're uncertain with how it might turn out. I hope that you start feeling better. I hope that you are healed from that. And it kind of leaves the door open of maybe they will, maybe they won't, but we're going to hope for the best. And there's almost a measure of uncertainty in saying that. But here's the beautiful thing with God, that there's no uncertainty in him. And that when he says that hope does not disappoint 
it means that we can sit here with confident expectation that he will meet the needs and that he will fulfill what he said that he was going to fulfill. Listen, when Jesus prophesied in Micah, or when God prophesied and the Holy Spirit prophesied in Micah and in Isaiah, that was 700 years before Jesus ever came. But guess what? He fulfilled it. And his hope did not disappoint, and he did what he said that he was going to do. And so for us, we set our hope upon certain things, and it rides a roller coaster by the moments, by the things that are going on in our life. If we had a good day, if we've had a good week, then we feel hopeful. It's kind of like the Eagles football season. It's week to week, all right? (laughs) One week, it's really hopeful that they're going to make the playoffs. The other week, you're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? But if reality, if we're being honest, that's what hope is like in our lives. Week to week, here to there to there, and it rides this roller coaster of where it's, you know, we're really hopeful, and then something happens, and then all of a sudden the bottom falls out. I find it of no great irony that this week um, <laughs> that our president was impeached. And in reading social media and reading Facebook, it's like, you would think that the hope of the world hinges upon what the United States government decides to do as far as that goes. Because people are all up in arms and they're animated and they're feisty and they're thinking that, you know, and they've placed almost all of their hope, as it seems from a glance, as to what happens in the upcoming weeks and what happens in the 2020 election. And someone, good natured, it's one of my least favorite sayings, says, um, they had grandchildren, and they were speaking about their grandchildren and, their, my, and my children, and they said, you know, I'm sorry that, you know, your children have to be born in this and have to be raised in this. And I don't like that phrase, and that irks me because it's a phrase that doesn't, it's not filled with any hope. It's almost like, you know, if things go wrong there and, you know, the government fails or this decision is made, then I have lost all of my basis for hope and I might as well give up. But my hope is not hinged upon what happens with Trump or with impeachment or what happens in the 2020 election. And my kid's future isn't determined by anything that happens in government. Why? Because Jesus is king, and I'm going to place my hope in him, and I'm going to teach my kids to place my hope in them. And for that, we have reason to hope. I'm not saying not to be active and not to fight for Christian values and not to do that. But what I'm saying is do not place your hope in something that is feeble, fallible, and broken to be the basis of your hope and to be the foundation of your hope. That hinges upon Jesus and his foundation, and that he has come, and that he has been born, and that he is still living. And if you place your hope in him, regardless of what does happen, you still have reason to hope. That's right. Amen. And I will raise my kids like that, and I'll tell them that your hope is in Jesus Christ. And as long as he's king, and as long as he's ruling, and as long as he is reigning, uh, you can rejoice yeah. because the Savior lives. Verse 5 tells us that hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And before I get to that and before I finish, I thought that um, there's some special people that have clung to this verse and have used this verse to get them through a season of life. And I thought this Christmas it would be fitting that they would share their testimony about their journey so that you could be encouraged um, with a season of hope. So, Stefan and Becky, if you would. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So, Ryan asked us to give a testimony today about our journey to become parents. Um, our story is different than what we expected 
or hoped it would be. Uh, it took a lot longer, but it's turned out better. Um, the journey started five years ago. We were when we were ready to have children. And all our expectations were normal. We thought this would be easy. Um, and we didn't necessarily expect it right away. We just thought it'll happen, you know, and basically something that anybody could do. We were really were not worried about anything. Um, that began to change a little bit after years, several years of disappointment. Uh, you know, we found ourselves with a choice, um, really three choices, options before us, but a single choice. You know, we could choose just to abandon hope of having children at all, uh, just choose to be childless or child-free, depending on how you look at that. Uh, we could seek medical treatment, or we could just adopt. Um, Becky didn't want to do medical treatment. I didn't want to adopt. Uh, we both wanted to be parents, but neither of us wanted it the same way. Uh, so it put us in an interesting place. Um, so I didn't want to seek medical treatment at all. They actually say nurses make terrible patients, so I just wasn't interested, I guess. Um, and for me, there was a lot at, at play emotionally. Uh, it seemed a little bit like a lack of faith going to the doctor. You don't get me wrong, I don't believe that going to the doctor is a lack of faith. God has given us medical treatment, has given us advancements, we can use it, um, and they're for us to use. But I just, it just seemed like in this case it would just be a lot easier for God to just answer this prayer and make it happen. Um, why go through inconvenience and expense and vulnerability? You know, he wants us to be fruitful and multiply. He did it for people in the Bible. Make this easy, Lord. Um, and it wasn't easy. <laughs> um, I did end up going to the doctor. I had a very terrible experience. I didn't know what I was getting into, and I really couldn't go back. Um, and so we just took about a year of focusing on the Lord and praying and decluttering, and we still were not expecting a baby. So um, I thought I was in a better place, and I said, let's get a second opinion, and I found a fabulous doctor um, who we went to, but it was still brought up a lot of emotions and a lot of difficulty. Um, Stephen never pushed me to go. It was always totally up to me, um, but I did it because we wanted to be parents, and I knew that Stephen really valued having children of our own. So I was in a position where I had to surrender fear and anxiety and preferences because I did not want this path. And surrendering is very hard, especially for someone who likes to be in control of things. As you can tell, it was hard for Becky to go to these appointments. And it, as a husband, is hard to see your wife go through that. I went with her to every one of those appointments. Um, you know, I know a lot of people don't have the ability to sacrifice that way to be with each other, but I just couldn't let her go through that alone. And, I mean, that alone turned out to be a testimony. I mean, there are people in these doctor's offices that said they'd never really... They've seen a lot of single women coming in there, a lot of women coming in alone, but they almost never see uh, a couple coming in together all the time. Um, and there were so many disappointments in this whole process. Every, It felt like it was just a cycle of disappointment. You know, the doctors had hope. We were hopeful things would work, but it just never did. Um, and we couldn't predict when this bad news would happen. <laughs> there were so many times, I mean, all Becky could do is cry, and, and really all I could do is hold her. I mean, there were no words to comfort her um, in that, that time. 
About two Christmases ago, we were faced with another unsuccessful treatment. Um, and it was about this time that we just began to be a little more public with our struggle. You know, a lot of you were praying. It was on our prayer card every Sunday for years. Um, and we just had a lot of shame. And by sharing it, a lot of that shame went away. And we just really got out in the open. And we had a lot more prayer support, a lot more um, just connection with people who were struggling. And we just found a place to, to minister. Um, and then that following January, we had so many people praying. We had so much hope. We had really good results. And we just thought, this is it. This is the answer. And we woke up to another round of bad news. And um, we just were done. We had exhausted the medical options. And um, it was just determined for whatever reason they couldn't explain that they just really couldn't help us. So the door slammed shut. And um, now, now I entered a period of conflict because the hope of having our own children of our own was over, and all that was left was adoption, which I didn't want. Um, and it was tough for me because really, you know, through my life, I've struggled with low self-esteem. I wanted to be accepted, and I wanted to be like everyone else. I wanted this to be something where we join all the other people our age who are having children, and it's the most basic thing people can do. You don't have to be smart. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be good. You just, it's something anyone can do, and yet we can't do that. And it hurt. Um, you know, Becky didn't want those medical treatments, and I didn't want the adoption option. Um, and many nights after Becky went to bed, I'd spend time in tearful and sometimes angry prayer with God. Um, I would just say to him, God, I don't understand this. I don't want adopted children. Um, you know, but you're God. You know, if this is your plan, then it's your plan. Um, I just want your heart for this plan because I don't have it. And it was one of the most honest things I've ever prayed to God. So many times. Um, and thankfully, with a lot of prayers and help, you know, we sought some counsel. You know, we decided that foster care and adoption would be something we'd try. And I'd be lying if I said I was totally on board with that, but I moved ahead with it anyway in faith. Um, and we had no idea what was in store next. Um, for me, I had always wanted both um, biological and adoptive children, so the the switch to adoption was a lot easier for me because I had wanted both. Um, and so, you know, we began to just talk to a lot of people who had fostered and adopted and read books and investigated agencies and um, picked one that we loved and we applied and we um, went through tons of hours of classes and tons of pages of homework and self-reflection and home inspections and applications and interviews. And finally, um, you know, we were open and ready to take calls. And in March of this year, while on a family vacation, we got a call about a baby girl at a hospital who needed a family. And we said yes. And we got home as soon as we could to meet her. You all surrounded us with meals and gifts and hand-me-downs, and we just fell in love with her instantly. We were over the moon with all the excitement that we had and just so much gratitude that the Lord had provided. And what happened in me was pretty amazing from my perspective because 
the bonding that we had with Evelyn was an answered prayer. Um, that was my biggest fear is that I would never love a child who wasn't my own as though that child was my own. Um, apparently that's pretty common for men to say, but still it's real and I wouldn't want a child if I didn't feel like I could love that child all the way. Um, God had a different plan and it turned out to be the complete opposite. <laughs> You know, I learned all the things that uh, didn't really know it was in sort of feedings, diapers. You know, everything was just humming along. Everything seemed great. We're bonding. And you know, our first Easter here was fantastic. And thanks to everybody and welcoming her and her little pretty Easter outfit. And, um, and then, you know, we didn't have any expectation that things would, would be any different. Um, on, and then the next day, we had a court date. Um, as Stefan and I were walking towards our courtroom, our social worker stopped us in the hallway. And she told us that without any warning, um, a family member was there and she wanted to raise Evelyn. So out of the blue, someone showed up and all she talked about was how much she loved children and how she wanted to keep the family together. The primary goal of foster care is always reuniting with biological relatives whenever that is possible. When it's not possible, the goal is to find a permanent, loving, and adoptive home. Foster parents are taught the importance of reunification. We understood it, we believed in it, we agreed to support that. It was just a whole lot easier to agree to that in a class when it was theoretical than when you had a holding a baby in your arms. And it was a lot harder to walk that path that we had agreed to. I didn't think anything could feel worse than being told we couldn't have children of our own, than being told one that we came to love would be taken from us. Um, when we left the court, it actually felt like being punched in the stomach. I never felt that in my life. Um, you know, as we left, the social worker and the court advocates just said to us, sympathetically, but they still said it, well, that's it. Um, you know, this person's come forward, they have standing, and you don't have any standing in this. And that's it. Uh, and when we got home, um, Joyce was there taking care of Evelyn, and um, all of us just, all we could do is weep. Um, we took a few days really just to grieve. Um, what had happened is to pray and ask our friends to pray, people at church. We sought counsel. But in all this, something in my spirit said it's not over. And it wasn't wishful thinking. It was actually the Holy Spirit. And all of you who have experienced that know what that feels like. That is not me. He said it's not over in a very quiet way. And he reminded me of a verse from 2 Corinthians that I have so frequently gone to. He said, we walk by faith and not by sight. The social worker sees by sight. They see this all the time. So she's seeing from her experience, but we don't see that way. Uh, when people would ask how things were going, I'd say, you know, we've learned God is the Almighty, and he's the comforter. So we're covered either way. But I'm praying for the Almighty. <laughs> um, you know, many of you have given us so many, um, you know, prayers and verses and prophetic words. Um, and we knew that God changed hearts. He changed my heart when I chose to follow him. He changed my heart to want to adopt a child. And we were just praying that he would change this relative's heart. 
you know, that she would, you know, she would see something and be changed in her decision to take Evelyn from us. So we were surrounded by so much support, and while I believed in my heart that God was going to let us keep Evelyn, we still had to walk in the unknown. Each time I would begin to be anxious about that unknown, I would just look to verses that people had given us, many of, um, of you who are in this room, um, you know, such that the Lord would fight for us, we would need only to be still. One Sunday, Jim DiBiaso came up to us and said that every time he prayed for us, the Lord gave him the verse that's from the very sermon today, hope does not disappoint. God used many worship songs to encourage me to walk by faith. We did our part to participate in the process. We built relationships with all the members of the team, including her family. We prayed for a miraculous change of heart and we just waited and waited. At our next court date, a few months later, we had a visit scheduled with a family member to meet um, Evelyn. And after the hearing, she said that she wanted to speak to us in front of the social workers and the advocates. She said she wanted us to adopt Evelyn. She said it was the most difficult decision she had made, but she really felt that we were to be her parents. She said she saw how much we loved Evelyn and felt that she belonged with us. I just started to cry, and we knew right then and there that we saw a miracle, that God changed a heart and a mind. And I, I still had that little glimmer of what if, what if this isn't real, and what if she changes her mind? But that relative um, continued to reaffirm her decision over and over over the next several months with several social workers. And our big exciting news is that we are scheduled to adopt Evelyn in eight days on December 30th. Yeah. I mean, so through all this, you know, there have been a lot of things that have, we've learned. Um, you know, God was with us through it all. I, I have to say we frequently didn't see it while we were there in the moment. Um, but we saw it after the fact, and God showed himself to never abandon us. Um, in the hardest times, God gave us hope when we felt hopeless, comfort when we were sad, and peace when we didn't understand what was going on. Um, I learned what, really what it means for God to be my redeemer. You know, he can take something that's seemingly worthless, like this suffering or this pain or this constant disappointment, and turn it into something valuable. <laughs> and as for why this suffering happened, we never got an answer. We don't have an answer to that. Um, but I think the real thing that we came to see is it's not, that's not the, that's the wrong question. It's what is God doing through this suffering in us and around us? Um, and our journey wasn't normal. It's definitely not what we thought we wanted. Um, it's better. I can say that because of God, it's better. And it's because it's what he planned. Um, and it's just a result of the journey that he had us go through. So thanks for hearing us and that's our testimony about hope. Thank Amen. you. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Is that when we place our hope in anything but Jesus, very often that hope gives way to fear afraid of the unknown, afraid of 
what's going on, what's next. We hope for so many things. We hope that our kids will turn out right. We'll hope that the work that we put in and everything that we're doing in life, we hope that we're on the right path. We hope that this is all going to be worth it. We hope that the things that we go through are going to matter in the end. And when we don't have our hope in God, that very quickly turns into a fear, afraid, am I doing the right thing? Am I enough? Am I just alone? Am I on the wrong path? But this Christmas, if you place your hope in Christ and you allow him to be the foundation and the source of your hope through all the trials, through all the seasons, through all the situations, you'll find that his hope does not disappoint. The same God that delivered and showed up on behalf of the Parlos is the same God that wants to deliver a message to hope. And so maybe you're like that. Maybe you've had seasons and you've had struggles and you've been around the wheel multiple times and it doesn't look like it's going to change and it doesn't look like it's going to end and it doesn't look like it's going to be any different. Put your hope in God and see that his love doesn't disappoint. Why? Because his God has poured out his love into your hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given you. That pouring out is of a, speaks of excess, of abundance. And that the Holy Spirit is working in all of our lives and he's pouring out of his love. That's what Christmas is about. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And so be encouraged in your heart and let your heart be overflowed with his love that he's pouring into each and every single one of you. So that you can look into the seasons, you can look into the situations, you can look into the suffering and say, I have hope. Because Christ was born. And if he met my greatest need and my sin and my separation, then he can surely handle any other need that I come up against or I face. If he can take care of that, I'm going to trust him to take care of the rest and to work it out for his good and his purpose. So it's what Brooks meant when all hope and all fears are met in him. That because of Jesus, you don't have to fear, you don't have to be afraid, or you don't have to worry because they are squelched by the birth of Christ. And that you don't have to be afraid 